Great. Well, thank you, uh, worship team, and um, also what uh, Leah spoke about just a little bit ago also relates to exchange, right? An exchange of, of whether it's we've had a horrible week and we get to exchange coming in here and we get to praise and worship the Almighty God. That's an exchange. Um, here, this is talking about an exchange. It talked about the cross. This video talked about how the cross exchanged our sin and, and took it and, and created us to allow us to live in a clean space where God can also dwell. And um, so to, today, we're going to take a look at the passage of John 14 where God talks about heaven. And heaven is sometimes not an easy thing to get our... our um, minds around sometimes because we're it, it seems like first of all eternity you know as as a kid that i love math and i start thinking about eternity and it's like it just like you can't you just can't wrap your head around being in one place for eternity i was thinking like are we gonna play hide and seek forever that's gonna be boring i loved hide and seek but that you know eventually in eternity surely that's gonna be boring um the title of this message also is called trading spaces and uh, that's based on a, sh on a show I've watched far more Home and Garden TV than you would probably be able to imagine. But Trading Spaces was an old show that was about two people would trade their houses and they would renovate. Each would renovate a room in their house. And then they would have the big reveal when suddenly that room is revealed, right? And so in many ways, God is going to also trade spaces for us. He's preparing, he's renovating right now, and he is, it's another type of exchange, right? Where he's going to trade this old, worn-out earth that we have done a horrible job of stewarding, and he is going to replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. And so that's also an aspect of, of what heaven is about. Um, but just um, as Brianna and I were talking this, uh, this week just about this topic, we talked a little bit about it and just how hard it is sometimes to wrap our heads around and how far away uh, heaven feels. Um, we just thought it might, I thought it might be uh, great if Brianna could just come and um, just, I just had a couple questions for her on this topic. So thank you, Brianna, for being willing to come. <laughs> have not died and gone to heaven. Yeah, no, she is fully, <laughs> she's fully here, yes. Um, uh, what, so Brianna, what have been your thoughts about heaven over the decades? Yeah, so I just presumed as a little girl I was going to heaven because I was a good little girl. And so I didn't really think about heaven ever until I heard the gospel. And then when I heard the gospel that Jesus died on the cross so that I could go to heaven and didn't have to go to hell, I was like, oh, there's more than one place. And so I was glad that I chose the good place. Um, and then during my teen years in the late 80s and 90s, there was a lot of emphasis on heaven versus hell. Um, one of, of a movie I watched and made all my friends and cousins and everyone watch was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, which basically scares you into getting saved. Um, and so there was a big focus on not going to hell and going to heaven, right? But it was still far, far away. I was a teenager, so whatever. I have a long way till I'm going to die and go to heaven. Um, so when I was in university, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And I went to a conference once where the speaker um, kind of shifted my mindset about heaven and talked to us about how there's very little things that move from this life to the next life. The only things that move on are God, his word, and the souls of people. And he challenged us to live for those three things, to make those our priorities in life, because that's what's going to follow us to, to heaven and to eternity. And so I remember being gripped as a young adult that 
I wanted to live for those purposes. I didn't, I didn't want to store up treasure here on this earth. I wanted to live for things that were going to outlast me and go into eternity with me. And I, was, I said in the first service that I actually wanted to be a research scientist. I was kind of that nerd going to find the cure for AIDS back in the day. And, um, and I remember very like being hit with that revelation that, oh, if I'm in a lab working by myself, there's going to be no people. Like I've got to get into a career that has people. So I became a teacher. And so I, um, yeah, that was kind of how That's, I thought about heaven back then. I want, oh, this, I was going to say this. I wanted to make sure I, um, heaven wasn't just going to be when I die, but we could actually live for heaven. Kind of like those two circles collide mm -hmm. in my life now, yeah. even as a 20 year old. So and that sort of follows into the next question, which is how, how do you see heaven as home today? Yeah. Um, so as I get older, and I don't know if this is just me, um, but as I experience more brokenness in my own life and more broke, see more brokenness in our world and see how messed up we are, there's a greater longing for heaven in me than there ever has been before in the sense of going to the place where the streets are gold. <laughs> there's no more tears, right? There's no more pain. There's no more sickness. Like there's a longing. And I think that happens as we get older where we know that. Um, and of course, when I would go to funerals, I'd always take comfort that loved ones were in heaven. Um, so it became a bit more real because I was going to more funerals the older I got. But what really changed my perspective was um, almost two years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer. And I was, had to face my own mortality. Um, so in your 40s, you don't usually face that, right? And so I, before I had my scans to know how far the cancer had spread or to know if it was in my lymph nodes, I didn't know what stage I was. I didn't know any of that. I remember being hit with the fact of I could die from this thing. Like, this is not a nice disease to get. I could die from this. And I remember the Lord meeting me in that place. Um, very supernaturally where I just felt his peace come upon me and just a gentle reminder that this world was not my home and that heaven was my home and as painful as it would have been to leave my family and to, you know all the consequences of that um, I knew deep in my heart that that was what I was created for and that's where I'm ultimately meant to be and my quick life here on earth whether it's 40 60 80 or 100 years old um, is just a snap in comparison to being with Jesus forever. And so I just had so much comfort in that place and so much rest in that place. And obviously I'm still here. So, uh, the Lord is gracious and decided it was not yet my time. Um, but heaven is, continues to be my hope no matter what happens. Great. Thank you very much, Brianna. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's a great reminder of, um, just uh, uh, how oftentimes we can just push away, we're in our busyness and, and everything, and then suddenly something happens, like, like hearing the word cancer applied to you, that suddenly makes heaven uh, an, a, a, a stark reality. And um, uh, one of the things that, that in our life, too, we see, I mean, there are a lot of things that can suddenly come in flying sideways and cause us to think about um, heaven, and uh, we're going to look at that this topic today. Uh, let's first just read John 14, uh, 1 to 6. This is the passage that we're going to be looking at, and um, it says Jesus starts, and Jesus is this is the, just after the Last Supper. Um, Judas has just been dismissed to go whatever he needs to do and do quickly, um, and so Jesus is now talking to the disciples, and they are they are troubled. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why Jesus is talking about, why are you talking about uh, going and dying? Why are you, and Peter takes Jesus aside and says, you, you don't have to do that. 
And Jesus says, no, I, I do. And um, so there's lots of things that seem troubling to them. So uh, we'll start here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then after an awkward silence, Thomas said, um, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray as we look at this passage. Dear Lord, we thank you for the way you have prepared our hearts already uh, to reflect on heaven just through worship and just through being able to come together and sing your praises and sing who you are. And Lord, thank you that we don't only get to do that now, but we will get to do that through eternity. And Father, as we look at this passage, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just um, fill us with joy, fill us with hope, and fill us with understanding and insight um, as we look at this, that we may um, understand the reality of heaven um, much better than, than, we, than we have, Lord. And, and just give us that insight through your spirit and, the, and your words. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. So this, this passage, these six verses, you can sort of think of it as being two sections. Verses 1 to 3 really are focusing on the place, heaven as a place. And then verses 4 to 6 are really focusing on how, the way, right? How, how do we get, get to heaven? And so let's just look at the first the first thing uh, that Jesus focuses on is our hearts. And uh, in verse 1 it says, again, do not let your hearts be troubled. Okay? And um, this seems very emotionally unhealthy. <laughs> this does not sound like emotionally healthy spirituality to me. Um, it's like Jesus saying, and, and if you look at the, 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 this verb here, it actually is saying... Um, stop something that you're already doing. Uh, essentially, Jesus is saying, I know your hearts are troubled right now, but stop, stop, okay? But I think what makes it healthy is Jesus doesn't just say, stop feeling that, okay? What he is trying to say, he is now going to give them a reason uh, for why, they, what they can focus on so their hearts won't be troubled. He's not just saying, well, stop being sad. He's not just saying, well, get over it. He is, he is telling them something else, a reality. He wants to remind them of reality that will, that will help their hearts not be troubled. And um, for us, uh, for the disciples, they had all kinds of things that were going fantastic just a little bit ago. Okay, Because Jesus had come to Jerusalem, he had been welcomed, he was riding a donkey like a king coming into his, his city, they were throwing their coats on the ground, they were waving their, their palm branches, they were singing Hosanna, it was fantastic. And who was with him? Who was beside Jesus as Jesus was, was uh, as everybody was adoring Jesus? The disciples, they were right there, they were right beside him. And they also, they were, they were sort of basking in the glory so much so that um, 
James and John seem to, and we don't know how this worked exactly, whether they sent their mom to ask Jesus or whether they just, uh, whether their mom just figured out, hey, you know what? My sons are amazing boys and they really need to be, when Jesus becomes king and he's crowned king, those two need to be beside him, one on the left, one on the right. And so the mom comes up to Jesus and says, um, you know, uh, when you come into your kingdom and you're on your throne, um, could, could my sons have one, one spot on your left and one on your right? I, I really feel that's the place for them. And so that's the mindset that they had just been in, right? They had just been in that, hey, Jesus is going to become king, real king, right here, and we are his, his guys. We are going to be his ministers. We are going to be the ones that are going to be right beside him, basking in all the power and all the glory. And then suddenly Jesus starts talking about, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And suddenly their whole world has now come crashing down. And just a few minutes ago, uh, Jesus turned to one of the disciples, Judas, and said, or Jesus first said, one of you is going to betray me. And they said, well, who is it? And I think, I think Peter said to John, hey, pst, ask him who it is. So John goes, okay. Who is it? And and they um they Jesus says, well, it's the one that whom I give this bread and the cup, right, of the Passover. And so he gives it to Judas. Judas takes it, and Jesus says to him, whatever you need to, whatever you have to do, do quickly. And Judas leaves. And they all thought they still didn't pick it up. You know, again, we sometimes are boggled with how, but of course, you know how the disciples don't seem to catch on to stuff. Um, they thought he was going to go buy something. Maybe we were out of bread or something, and God, uh, Jesus was sending. Judas to do that, but they, they, things were starting to crumble on them, and their hearts were troubled, and so that's what Jesus is saying, and for us too, um, I don't know how many of you uh, read the news, no, uh, if you don't start, if you don't, don't start, now's not the time to start reading the news, because it is not good, okay, we just, you know, tailing off of a global pandemic, um, we've got, um, Brianna talked about how she wanted to be a research scientist and, you know, I just was reading a BBC article a little bit ago about how they're mixing human DNA with, with monkey brains and, uh, and it's like, if you've ever seen Planet of the Apes, you know that is not a good idea. That does not lead to a good place. And it's like, do these scientists not see that? You know, do they never go to movies? Or maybe they did go to movie and they thought, hmm, Yeah. We can do that. You know, that, that, that's a good idea. Um, so, and then, um, and then as well, I mean, we have the leader of a superpower talking about launching nuclear bombs against another country. That is scary. That's frightening. So we live in a frightening world. If our hearts aren't troubled, uh, there's something wrong, right? We're, we're ignoring reality. And so we have good reasons, just like the disciples. We have good reasons today for our hearts to be troubled. And so, yet, Jesus is going to take them from this point, and he is now leading them to, to why they, they can, what is the cure for their hearts being troubled. And so he starts with, he goes on to the next phrase, which is, you believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus is offering here, he's not offering belief in something. He's not saying, here's a doctrinal statement, memorize these doctrinal points, and you'll be great. He's not saying, here's a philosophy, do this, or he's not saying, here's a you know, an exercise regimen or a diet, a keto diet or something that's going to that's gonna redeem everything that you needed. But he is saying, put your belief, take your belief and put it into me. And 
I think that many times there are like there are some people that feel like, oh, I don't need belief. I just I just go with facts. And when I was in university, I was taking the train from Waterloo, or I was at university and going to going to Toronto. And I remember one I had a fellow university student sitting beside me, and we started up a conversation. And she said, oh well, you know, I I don't. I explained, I, somehow it got onto the topic that I was a Christian, and I talked about what I believed, and she said, oh, well, I don't, I don't believe, I don't, I don't have any beliefs, I just go with facts, and um, that is really not, not, unfortunately, that's not an option, a lot of philosophers, or a few philosophers have tried that, like they tried to start, let's see if we can do this without any beliefs, we're just going to start with pure fact, and see where we go, you just, you don't have anything, if you don't have a few assumptions, if you don't have a window with which to look through stuff, you actually can't make any sense of facts or the, or the world. And so we all have some sort of belief. And some people put their beliefs into something or into some idea. But Jesus is saying, I want you to put your belief into me, which is more than just belief. It's also trust me. Trust me. Trust me that what I'm saying is true, and I'm not going to steer you wrong. And he even says, you know, the next, just, just a little ways down, he says, if it weren't so, would I have told you, like, am I in the habit of lying to you? That's almost how he's saying. And so he, he is saying, you have good reason to trust me. I've never lied to you and in this time that you've known me. So um, I think the one thing also is that we are putting our belief in someone uh, is there, is there anybody in this room that I could put the, my belief in and they would be able to guarantee that something would or would not happen this week? There's nobody. Nobody in this room can guarantee even the simplest thing will happen this week because we do not have full control over everything. And so when we put our, if we put our belief in Jesus, he is the one in full control. And, the, and he's really the only person that it makes sense to put our belief into. And um, then he goes on to verse 2, and he says here, My father's house has many rooms. And I don't know what Sunday school was like when you were a kid, but, uh, and many of you, it was not like this. Uh, there wasn't Sunday school. And, um, but uh, when I was a kid, Sunday school had King James. King James was the thing that we memorized in, okay? And um, it was so, it said, In my father's house are many mansions. Well, that's been drastically downgraded. It was mansions. It's now rooms. Today, it's the it's it's rooms, uh, but it's still a pretty big room. Don't don't worry. It's a pretty big room, and uh, in Revelation 21, it actually gives us the numbers. It says that when the city that you saw in the video that it was talking about, it's uh, Gen- uh, Revelation describes this city, and it says it's about 2,000 kilometers wide. Okay? It's about 2,000 kilometers long, and it's even about 2,000 kilometers high. 2,000 kilometers is about basically from Saskatoon to Chicago. Okay? Now, uh, Dallas wasn't here this week uh, for good for some of the part, and so I probably spent a lot more time calculating. He would have seen me in, in, you know, in my office writing a few calculations out of that. He's going, Glenn, you know, I think you really should be prepping the point of the sermon, not getting doing these calculations. But anyways, I, I spent more time on this than I should have. And, you know, calculating, okay, how many people have been born since the beginning of the earth, about how many percentage Christian, and how many, you know, this. And, and anyways, when you take the whole thing and you crunch all the numbers... <laughs> And then you do a cube root at the end, you actually get that we will have about 
0.794 kilometers cubed of space. So that's about 800 meters by 800 meters by 800 meters. That's a pretty big room. That's a lot of decorating that you can do with that room. And, you know, um, and so, so, yeah, so that is what we're looking at. It's, and by the way, I'll just say that it is only at the Rock Church that you get biblical truth to the accuracy of three decimal places. So, you know, just, just saying. Um, so the other thing is that it also says in Revelation, it says that in that same place, it says there will be no sea. Okay, so there's going to be no ocean, which will also, besides all the living space in the city, it means the world now has three times as much living space, and it's, there is not going to be a sea, assuming the new world is the same as this one. And the other thing it says, it says in Isaiah, it says that every valley will be raised up, all those pesky mountains, they're going to be brought low, okay, and essentially it's going to be, there's going to be no ocean, there's going to be no valleys, no mountains, Saskatchewan, yeah, essentially Saskatchewan. So I am waiting for the look of surprise on those people that have driven through our province and mocked us for how they can fall asleep and still be on the highway when they get to the Manitoba border. They're going to be surprised. Yeah. So we will not, however. So anyways, I think the one thing about heaven that's, and I'm making a little bit of of spot here because God gives us details. Like if he didn't want me to calculate the cube root on a Sunday morning, which might be offensive to some, um, but he, why did he give us those numbers? But he gave us exact numbers for some of these things. And the other thing, so there's some details that he gives us exactly. And then there's other details that we just, we really have no idea. And I think part of that is two things because Um, When we approach anything about future events, I think a prophecy, anything like that, it's very important for us to be humble, okay? Even Jesus was humble in this regard, okay? uh, His disciples asked him, they said, so when are you coming back? And he says, I don't know, which is a pretty interesting answer for Jesus. He's the one that's coming back. He says, only the Father knows. The Father knows what the day is that I'm coming back, but I do not. And so even Jesus was humble about prophecy. So I think whenever we talk about future events, we can let our imaginations go a little bit. Um, but 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So even though I can, I'm a pretty good, ima- I can imagine quite a bit, as Han Solo said. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not what God has prepared. I cannot imagine all the amazing things that God has prepared. And I almost feel like it's like a, it's like a surprise, right? It's like he is, there's some things he's telling us, but there's some things that he can't, probably can't wait for the look of surprise and joy on our faces when we get there and see how amazing it is. And then the next part says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So he's saying, you can trust me in this. I have, I have always been dependable. I have told you the truth. Right up to this point, you can trust me about this as well. And, um, and I think the fact is that if God took six days to make this whole world, this whole universe, this whole amazing place, and as we get these telescopes like the James Webb, which allows to view these ridiculously far corners of the universe, and even in this ridiculously far corner of the universe, God put this amazingly beautiful nebula, which just looks so cool. It's like God has decorated the entire universe with modern art that, you know, probably we won't even see but a small fraction of it. 
Just think of what he can do. That was done in six days. Just think of what he can do with over 2,000 years to prepare a place for us. So I think we can, we can be encouraged that God is just, he is making this amazing place and he is preparing it specifically for us. And then um, uh, number three is our Lord's promise. And uh, verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Okay. So, so Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to go there, prepare, do all that work, preparing a place for you, and then just sort of sit there waiting for you to show up when I know that you don't know how to get here. And um, the funny thing is that Thomas, who maybe wasn't listening at this point, I'm not sure, uh, who was it? Oh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn said she had just finished her first week of full-on teaching all day long, heart, soul, body, and strength all in the... And then, completely uh, done at the end, but we all know as teachers what it's like to have a kid that is like, you get the kid that just wasn't listening to the instructions, you know, can you explain that game again? How did that work again? And you know, but Thomas here maybe wasn't listening, but Jesus said, look it, don't worry about how to get there. I will come back and take you to be with me. And um, again, we don't know exactly when he's coming back. We don't know even exactly um, what will come first sometimes. You know, we don't know. It's like there's, is this going to come first? Prophecy sometimes. It tells us what's coming, but we sometimes don't know the exact order. Uh, but we do know he's coming back. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, um, And the Lord himself will return with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be um, caught up together with them uh, in the clouds, and so we will meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him forever. And so there's a certainty. We might not know when it's happening, when it is going to happen, but we do know that he is coming back, and he will take us to be with himself. And he says here in that next part of that verse, he just says, that you also may be where I am. And this morning we sang... Uh, we sang, nothing is better than you, right? And it's like, we, that was part of the chorus of that, that, that uh, particular song. And we do not, we're not anxious for heaven because of the food. We're not anxious to get to heaven because of the amazing vistas from the hiking uh, trails. Um, we are excited to get to heaven because nothing is better um, than uh, God and Jesus. And, and that is why he is saying, that you also may be where I am. Because that's really the point of heaven. The point of heaven is that we can be completely together with, with Jesus. Um, let's just take a look then at the, the, next, four, the, the next three verses. Um, and this is section, uh, the second part, which is about be the way. Um, point one says, you know the way. And this is verse four. Um, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I'm not sure whether he said this. Sometimes Jesus says things to be provocative, sometimes to provoke them, saying, I think in his mind, if it was, if I was trying to, if you asked me what was going on in Jesus' head, I think what was going on is he was trying to say, you know the way where I am going, but you don't realize you know it. And um, so then Thomas, uh, there's this awkward silence, I'm sure, and, 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 then, and then Thomas says, uh, but Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And um, he, basically Thomas speaks up and he says what they're all thinking. 
and you can see the disciples are beginning to panic. Jesus is going away to some place, and suddenly he hasn't left any directions. There's no GPS coordinates. There's no pin on a map. There's, there's nothing. There's no address. Where is he going, and, and how can we possibly get there? And then Jesus says, you know the way already. You just don't realize you know it because I am the way, and you know me. And so then in point three there in verse six, it says, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and I know that um, this is a bit for us as Canadians. This can even sound, this sounds good to us as believers, right? As, as, as believers, this sounds great because we know Jesus personally. But as Canadians, our culture would never say that would never say, to say in our culture as in Canada, to say, there is one way to God, and this is the only way, that is anathema to, to Canadian culture. You do not say that. There's nothing worse. You want to get tarred and feathered on a university campus, go around with a sign that says that. You know, I mean, you will have an angry group of people around you very, very quickly, because we think, no, that's wrong. You can't say that. You can't say this is the only way. Um, and I don't have, I'll give you the short answer because we don't have a time for a long answer here. But, but I would say my short answer would be if God is, if there is a creator to this universe. So if there is a God that created the universe, then in many ways, if he made it, it's his. And if he made it, then he can make the rules. It's his right to make the rules. It's not our right. It says, it's so, so in essence, what it is, is it's just like, it's, we don't make the rules, he does. His place, his universe, his rules. And he is saying it is only through Jesus that we come, uh, that we come to, to um, heaven. And the reason is because every one of us sitting here, um, we are sinners, right? And as we saw in that video, we don't belong in that clean space. And the only way we can get into that clean space that is heaven, uh, God's presence is if our sin is somehow dealt with and wiped away. And Jesus' sacrifice, uh, as pointed out in that video, is what creates the clean space for us and wipes away our sins, cleanses us, and puts on that robe of righteousness. And it's a little bit like the prodigal son. I, I see it a little bit like the prodigal son where, you know, like Jesus comes running out to meet us and it says he's going to come from heaven. He's going to meet us in the clouds. So he's going to come down here. And... Um, He's running out to meet us with welcome, open arms, you know. And um, so I think that is, that's uh, just an important thing for us to realize that he is waiting there for us. He's anticipating our coming. He will run out to meet us, give us a good hug, and say, put on the best robe and let the party begin. And I think that that shows, uh, there are other things in, involved too, but I think that is definitely the tone of, of the welcome, I think, uh, that we are going to receive. And so, um, just as we, we conclude, I guess I would just say, as believers, uh, do we enjoy Jesus? Um, what do we do when our hearts are shaken? What do we do when we read news that really troubles us? Um, and I would sort of go back to, a little bit, back to Pastor Brandon's uh, uh, message last week, um, where, he, where he talked about, reading the word and the word is an aspect of enjoying jesus right now um when uh when ruth and i were dating she went as a as a nurse to the border of afghanistan 
and uh, she was giving vaccinations and immunizations and, and health care to the kids and families of the Mujahideen. And the Mujahideen were fighting the Russians at that time in Afghanistan. And so it was a dangerous area. And um, she left me, when, before she went, she left me a box, uh, not a box, but she left me a book uh, with one letter for every day that I could read. And it was, it was fantastic because she had written there her thoughts, uh, what, how she loved me. She thought about how, about how her and her thoughts and, and just like it was, I treasured reading that because she was, this was before the internet. And, um, and so there was no way to communicate with her. She was out in the, the boonies. And, and the only thing I could do is read these letters. But I read one every day. And it gave me, it made me feel close to her and anticipate her coming back. You know, with great anticipation. And Jesus has done the same for us. He's left us a box of letters, love letters, to us. And he is saying, I'm going to come back. And uh, this is reading those letters is, is a way of experiencing and enjoying his presence now. So that when we go to heaven, it's just going to be about experiencing his presence. It's, not, it's going to be something that we have been just, we're just anticipating. Because we've been reading those, reading those letters here. And so if you are not a believer, one of the things that you can do is um, you can, it's not difficult. Jesus isn't asking you to crawl up the stairs of the church and, you know, on your knees a uh, hundred times before he'll forgive you. He says, you just ask me. You come to me. You ask for forgiveness for your sin. I will cleanse your sin. He says he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And, and that is what he says. And John 1.12 says, um, Yet to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that instant we become part of his family. And that is, that is how we um, are able to enjoy uh, this eternity with him forever. So um, just James in the Bible. I'll just maybe ask the music team to come up. And in the Bible, uh, James says... Uh, don't just look at the word of God and then, you know, as a mirror, it's sort of a mirror that we hold up. But don't just look at it, see the mark on your face and walk away. Do something about it, right? And so when we hear the word of God, when, we, when the Holy Spirit says something to us when we're worshiping, we should reflect on it, not just walk out of this place and, and forget. So we're going to take a minute of silence just to reflect on this passage, these words of Jesus, and how they apply to our hearts. And uh, then the worship team will, will sing our final song.